0: Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Marcus Raglan and Adam Hawkins. For our last episode of the season, we have special guest Dr. Lucretia Berry on the show. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about the future of the church and discuss anti racism. Before we jump into today's conversation, we first want to introduce our guest, Dr. Barry. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do with brownicity. Is that how you pronounce it?
1: Yeah, it's the it's brown and ethnicity smushed together, so it's brownicity. So exactly. And um, someone said they weren't once went to the website because they thought it was about brownies, like brownie (laughs) (laughs) ethnicity. And they said they got there and thought, oh, this is better than brownies. So (laughs) it's like brownies go there. Um, But essentially we are uh, we center education or we center the learner. Um, We are about like cultivating learning experiences or education that fosters a shared belonging of race and racism so that we can cultivate spaces of justice and belonging. And that comes from my background as an educator. I have a doctorate in curriculum and instruction. And while I was in academia, I felt very privileged to have access to resources and understanding that brought me understanding, um, access to people who really um, understood, um, had a a more sophisticated understanding of issues. And um, I thought, well, okay, if I'm learning this and then I'm only teaching as a professor, let's say eight, to 20 students, okay, by the time it trickles down to the public, I mean, that's gonna be, we've missed a whole generation. And so I saw that there was a gap between um, like informed, um, scholarly informed education or the things that people needed to know in order to be equipped and empowered to enact change versus what, popular society actually had access to. And so brownicity uh, was formed really to, um, to be in that gap. Um, and so to bring the a richness, a rich understanding, like I said, scholarly informed um, to people who actually wanted to take on the responsibility um, to cultivate society, justice and belonging for everyone, but just did not know um, what they didn't know. And so for example, you know, friends would say to me something like, well, you know, my mom is a really sweet Christian woman. She's a really sweet Christian woman. But sometimes she says stuff that's really racist. And I don't know how to help her understand Mm. that what she's saying is harmful and not helpful or that she's not understanding things the right way. And so I was getting a lot of requests about like that. So um, I I thought, oh, okay. So essentially people need a foundational understanding. They need to understand how this construct works, how it has worked throughout history. And then they know how to help, you know, their loved ones see what has been hidden from them previously. So really brownicity evolved um, from. The, the questions that of my friends and because they trusted me um, <laughs> and they knew, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have any agenda except for them to um, be liberated um, and, you know, to have choice, to have free will, to function fully in free will because they now had an understanding and then they can make different choices. Mm. So that's Brownicity. We um, began by um, like with one course and it was a course that we called, you know, it's called "What Lies Between Us," but it was for, you know, onboarding the beginners, the people who have decided that they wanted to learn. And so we created this course, and then we just it just kind of grew from there. And so currently we um, are a learning community, and we we have several courses, um, and we are this space for people to, um, yeah, to to essentially sign up. And get on this journey and continue to grow and be empowered and be equipped to um, enact change even if the change is simply in your home and how you raise your children and Mm -hmm. so that tends to be our primary audience of um, like moms primarily and teachers who have access to kids and they want to give their students and children what they did not have this understanding and this perspective that they didn't have growing up so it's it's quite beautiful if i can it say is. so yeah
2: <laughs> it's really beautiful and i cannot wait to dive in more i'm so thankful for your work dr barry
1: all right y'all
0: the goal of this conversation is for us to talk about the future of the church as it relates to anti-racism the challenges the opportunities and everything in between Again, we want to see what's happening in culture in our current moment and how we as a church can get ahead of what's happening and be a voice in culture as we are a light for Christ. But before we jump into today's conversation, I want to lay a foundation because sometimes this particular conversation gets muddied because everybody has a different definition for some of the keywords. And so, Dr. Barry, can you start us out by giving us kind of a quick definition for race, racism, and then specifically anti-racism? I think most of our audience would be used to the term racial reconciliation and you use anti-racism. And so can you enlighten us about the difference between the two and why you use that term?
1: Yeah, um, I I don't use the term racial reconciliation because honestly, I don't know what it means. I think it has a connotation of, um, well, re- reconciliation means restore. But I think when people say recon- racial reconciliation, it has this connotation of, um, okay, let's all come together and and get along. Um, mind you, I um, began doing this work publicly, well, actually, have always done this work in a very multiracial, multi-ethnic community. So there was no separation. So if ra- racial reconciliation meant that, then that wasn't the appropriate, um, that wasn't the appropriate, uh, like, definition or explanation of what um, we were doing. Like, I am African-American. My husband is white. We're good.
0: So <laughs>
1: <laughs> reconciliation, people think, you, this has been my experience, that people think that, okay, bringing the white church and the Black church, because that's the thought, like bringing them together, and then that solves the problem of Of racism. And again, so false, Um, all the false. Again, I'm doing this work in multi-ethnic churches and people are there. Um, And so I, and and I haven't really heard a clear definition. I choose the definition of anti-racism because it's so simple. It's so simple. It says it's the policy or practice of opposing racism. Boom. (laughs) So (laughs) that's, Um, my, my goal and objective when people come to sit in front of me to learn, or they sign on to be my student, that's the journey we're going on. Like we are opposing racism and we are understanding how race and racism were created, cultivated, um, how it is perpetuated so that in all of our power, we can oppose it whether that's dismantling, that's healing. I also love the term racial healing. So if you go to brownicity.com, you see racial healing and anti-racism. You see both those terms um, because racial healing is um, healing from the damage caused by our subjugation to the construct of racism. Healing can occur personally, physically, socially, systemically, and economically. So mm. I use those terms because I know what they mean and they tell the story um, of um, a, a journey towards a goal. Now, for race, you ready? Ready, gonna... we
0: ready, we ready. <laughs> okay,
1: so race categorizes people based on the presumption of shared physical and biological characteristics. As a white Europeans, colonized and enslaved groups racial categories became a crucial means to sustain their dominant relations to power and privilege, further institutionalizing a racial hierarchy or caste system. Among the personal consequences of such categories is that identities are forced to fit into racial categories on the assumption that they reflect a person's ancestral heritage the most important societal consequence is the legitimation of gaps in inequality of wealth, opportunity and access to other valuable resources. Not done. Mm-hmm. Although <laughs> racial distinctions are highly problematic, conveying a concreteness that has been repeated, repeatedly shown to lack biological validity, so it's not biological. These distinctions indeed become real through their ongoing social enactment, that is personally, organizationally, and societally, in every arena of our social world, including day-to-day microaggressions, pervasive stigmas, exclusionary policies, and established or lack of adequate laws. Okay, so for example, a person who could be categorized as black in the United States might be considered white in Brazil or colored in South Africa. Mm. Because race is uh, constructed via laws and policies and beliefs. So someone who looks like, so my daughter who is multi-ethnic, her skin is fair enough that in Brazil, she could be considered white in South Africa, she would be considered color, so colored, so these are all racial categories. But in the United States, because of how we have defined racial categories, she is considered Black. Does that make sense for yeah. race? Okay, now we're gonna move on to racism.
0: <laughs>
1: are you sorry you invited the no, teacher? No, no. are all
0: gonna need to rewind and go back yes. and listen to that definition because she's dropping <laughs> knowledge. Yes.
1: Okay, now racism, is an oppressive force that creates and reproduces a complex system of social inequalities. It involves one group having the power to carry out systematic discrimination through the major institutions of society. It is a byproduct of racial categorization, which we just said, that focuses on the hierarchical arrangement of various racial groups. Now, um, so racism is different from racial pre- prejudice or how you feel, hatred or love or discrimination. That's not what racism is. And racism has categories and levels um, like systemic, which we see institutional and structural um, regarding, see government, laws, um, our schools, and then, indiv- and then individual racism. Um, and so interpersonal, which occurs between um, individuals and that's usually how we're talking about racism only as interpersonal um or um internalized and so that's of course when you um you know internalize the the false narratives uh about your own group. Okay, so that's uh race 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 racism, anti-racism and racial healing.
2: There's a lot of questions I have about that. Vito. Um, <laughs> well, go ahead, Marcus.
3: Oh, well my first one uh in regards. So I know a lot of times uh, I've gotten in conversations where people ask, "Well, how come we have to um why does it always have to be black and white? Like why are we making that the conversation?" And I'm I'm wondering if what's helpful when I think about your definition um in understanding that yes, it's not um while those things aren't rooted in a biological absolutes because they've been perpetuated uh within culture through policy and all those things uh, it becomes necessary and having conversations about those uh that we that we use those terms or do you think those terms um aren't useful at all does that question make any sense
1: are you asking about using the term black and white yes using
3: those? those is like binaries yeah in the conversation
1: oh yeah well well because that is a part of racist history and i said Races, not racist, racist. That's a part of the history. So, and again, we move forward in these conversations lacking a historical context. And so sometimes when I hear that question, I cringe a little bit. Um, No judgment, because we're not taught that essentially, like this definition is telling us, the caste system was created um, first, Black, because we needed to determine who was going to be the laborer. So we determined that First, who was the labor and who was not um or you know negro so that was determined and then we and then we then began to define white you know over um an extended period of time black was right away like boom black and then over a while we started to really say what was white and so because that is the origin then yes the the a lot of what we talk about or what we see manifested comes out of that hierarchy, a binary black white hierarchy. And then even as we move forward in history beyond the civil war and then integration becomes a part of it, people are not coming to the United States to be black, right? So they're coming from all over different places and then they're having to fit regardless of their tribe or their ethnicity, they're having to fit into our binary Racial hierarchy and they're not choosing black, even though after the Civil War, you know, freed um, Africans were citizens, but they're choosing white. So, again, so much of what we're seeing and what we live in is a result of that binary. And so, yeah, we got to keep we have to be educated. We have to talk about the binary. And then, yes, we can talk about. the complexities of other, of groups uh, coming in, migrating here and then having to choose um, whiteness, but we can't move away from, uh, we can't pretend like that binary doesn't still exist because it does. Cause people still come here from other places and still choose white. Hmm. You see?
2: Yep. It's, it's super complex. Cause I, what I hear in that, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear in that is, um, the answer isn't necessarily to say oh look it's a just created right it's a social construct that was created uh, so let's just leave it all behind that's not what I'm hearing like not like, we can't be a historical so the answer isn't well to Marcus uh, you it's you speak out of both sides of your mouth if you're saying it's constructed and then you're saying um, I'm black and there's this thing so, there is this thing that is blackness or something like that and I is, is that, is that what I'm hearing? Like the answer to move forward is not to just disavow history, right? The answer is to educate ourselves. That's what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Berry.
1: Oh my gosh. I, to me, and I, yes, I'm biased because I'm an educator. Like, can we just get one generation? We should, can we test it? Just test it.
2: Like <laughs> one
1: generation K through 12, you are educated. Um, you, you are shown the things that we have hidden um, because it's ugly and we're embarrassed about like, if you can just be educated and then see what that generation um, does. But also wanna make this point that um, to Marcus and, you know, me and Elizabeth. So our, the black that we have created is not the same as the black that um, was created through the racial hierarchy. So it is, Um, connected to it but it's not the same so when tamarcus is talking about being black he's not talking about um well i don't know i'll just talk to myself because i don't know tamarcus
3: (laughs) no you're right you keep going (laughs) i'm not subjugating myself I'm (laughs)
1: i'm not talking about the the black that the that um whiteness created or white aristocracy, plantarcracy created, right? Um the black that I am connected to is um the the resilience that had to be birthed from um that that was uh meant to be kind of a perpetual second-class citizen or not even a citizen i
2: that think that's happen. really helpful actually um is it is the inverse true too? that because i think sometimes that sometimes uh when people are talking about white or whiteness there's also a lack of understanding and so it's going like okay when tamarcus talks about uh, or Elizabeth talks about being black. They're they're talking about a forged identity that they created, not this maybe historical subjugated identity that was forced upon them. And sometimes when people are t- talking about whiteness, it's not. It also has its own definitions, right? Isn't that true?
1: Well, and that's the thing um, that a lot, I would say. You know, most white people haven't had to grapple with whiteness right. the way. That I have had to grapple um, with blackness. You know, most white people haven't had to go on this, haven't chosen to go on like this identity journey, to, journey to distinguish between being socialized as white or what that means, socialized as white, and then who they are. Um, who would they be if they were not socialized as white? And then what does it look like to lay down whiteness, um, which you know was put in place to be you know this um, to be at the top of the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. so what does it look like to wrestle with that, grapple with that and and then to be okay uh, a descendant of someone from Europe.
2: Sure yeah
0: you know I think what's interesting in which you brought up Dr. Barry is just what it would look like if we educated our kids just the truth of what's happened. Um, And something that's interesting that has popped up in our state, and I think across the United States, is a desire to kind of quelch that history. We don't want to teach this. And so there's been other things that have popped up in culture that have shown the church itself has not dealt with the issue, um, doesn't really know much of the history of what's going on, has a difficulty of um, even—I think the definitions that you read off are going to be new for a lot of our listeners— because it's not a conversation that we deal with a lot in the church. And so kind of what have you all seen that's happened that has brought this back to the forefront and illustrated some of the, the things that the church is still struggling with when it comes to how racism still exists within the walls of our sanctuaries?
1: You know, I initially thought the the church could rock this, right? Because we already have the foundation um, that we're rooted in, you know, love and justice, um, you know, caring for, you know, marginalized um, people and, and the people who um, society has trampled on. Um, and then I uh, had a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yes, that was the case for some churches, you know. And I, I grew up uh, going to, or I grew up in a black church. And so in my upbringing, like church and um, like civil rights went together. Like that, that was not, you know, that was the same, one in the same. Um, And so as an adult, when I was introduced to um, more of like some of the fundamentalist um, perspectives that can be connected in non-denominational, multi-ethnic churches, um, then that's where I began to see a separation of like the gospel, the church from um, like civil rights and the rights of people. And in that sense, the church seemed to be more married to um, political power. So I was, really baffled by that, because that was a new um, experience for me, and then I did not anticipate that there would be such a resistance um, to even learning, because I get it, like, I understand, again, I know my history, I know that, um, you know, especially, you know, Southern Baptist churches, these churches in the South, um, you know, adopted um, a kind of an individual gospel, so they didn't have to contend with, what abolitionists were, you know, throwing in their faces, like, how can you um, profess, you know, Christianity? How can you be a Christian? How can you profess Jesus and then do this to, um, you know, God's creation? How can you treat people this way? And so, you know, you can't, you can't treat humans um, poorly and like property, um, and then. Um, And feel good about that. So I know that, you know, over time, um, you know, that there there was a need for a gospel that um, focused on the self and not and did not provoke a community to take responsibility. So I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. If you grew up in that, you have no capacity, probably because church typically is where we're taught what to care for right? That's kind of where we, you know, home and church. And, and so, you know, church is an educational institution, just like our public schools. And so the church curriculum um, doesn't, didn't have, uh, you know, this wasn't a part of the church curriculum, not in white evangelical or fundamentalist churches. Now, like, again, like I said, in in the Black church growing up, it was a part of the, um, I'm doing air quotes, um, um, curriculum. So I think that yes, there is, um, there's a lack of understanding. There's that disconnect. Um, People haven't been uh, prepared. It isn't, it hasn't been normalized. Um, It has been politicized. I remember when I first started kind of doing this work publicly and like, you know, in, in a church and then for people that I had gone to church with who were considered, you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ, then say you're you're leftist. I didn't see because I didn't grow up with <laughs> mm-hmm. like politics and tr- like all, married like that. I didn't go. Grow- so I didn't even know what that meant, mm-hmm. you know. Or people said derogatory things to me. Make- I had to ask my husband. Now my husband has grown up in that tradition, tradition. so he's explaining to me, oh, what the- you know what that means, and when people were calling me leftist and uh and liberal again i didn't know i thought aren't we supposed to be free like isn't that what liberal? <laughs> <laughs> so i had a rude awakening that um yeah the, the church has um can can lead but right now primarily is not equipped and suitable um to lead in this work
0: mm. You know, I think that just to hear you say that, you know, because the church is a space of formation, like you said, the mm-hmm. space that we learn what to care about and that we have inherited that which comes before. So we don't live in a vacuum. And so you believe what you believe because of how you've been influenced by the people who've come before you. And just generation after generation after generation after generation, which hasn't learned about history, hasn't learned that the history itself shouldn't have happened because of sin um, and all these things. And we get to this point And when we should be, you know, Scripture calls us to be the light, to be at the forefront, that we have hope, that we have truth. And in a situation where it should be clear that something's really broken and really wrong, we just devour one another um, instead of coming together to show the world what it looks like to honor image bearers. It's like we have the truth, but it just, yeah, I'm just, it's just overwhelming um, of how unequipped we are to do what we need to do. But it's not a coincidence either. What do
2: you guys think? What do you guys think about this? Because I think this is such an important point we're talking about. We're talking about history. We're talking about definitions. We're talking about sociological categories. And this is like, let's pretend that we probably don't have to pretend. Let's pretend that we have a listener from the suburbs, a white family. They are listening to this and they're like, what? Are they talking about right? Can I can hear them kind of in their head because we've we've done uh, classes before. We've done some things where we try to. And here's here's probably the and I, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, but here's probably the thing I encounter the most. It's I'm I'm just gonna pretend it's a white like it's a white dude. He's 35 years old. He is not. And again, we have to think of these categories. He's been taught growing up. That racism is personal prejudice. That's what racism is. Uh, It's hate in your heart towards somebody different than you. And he's like, I don't have that. You know, I don't hate anybody. I'm just trying to make a living and make my family work. And, you know, I'm just trying to, like, get by like everybody else. He grew up in a culture that said, and this could be privilege, right, which we haven't even talked about this, but that said, you're not your labels. Rise above your labels. Show your character. Your character's what matters, the individual gospel of saying church is about showing your sin, personal sin, and then Jesus saving you from that sin and having right standing before God, and then all this stuff starts to bubble up, right? Culturally, mm-hmm. things are starting to happen. Think about it. It's like um, Obama gets elected. There's this feeling, even from, and I remember even from evangelicals and and whatever that category means anymore, but church people who are like, wow. Like, this is progress, younger, like my generation. I know there were people who were like, you know, racist and everything else, but there was this feeling of like, oh, something's happening. Then you have Trump come in. And I'm, I am I am fast forwarding through a million things, right? Then you have Trump come in, and all of a sudden, people are looking around going, wait a second, what's happening? Race, Like, truly that animosity towards the other, the thing, the personal sin of racism, whatever that part of it is, prejudice, right? is coming out people are seeing that and they're going well that's not me i don't i don't buy any of that and now you have your church who's like hey let's do this class on reconciliation they're coming to you and they're saying well you're white and you got to understand that whiteness uh is this really oppressive force and they're like hang on a second what are you talking about like i don't know what that is whiteness is this oppressive force you're a part of it you're culpable you are the history that you've been taught it's like hey my grandfather grew up he fought world war ii we liberated the world from the Nazis. Yeah, we have this thing of racism in the past, but there's all these really wonderful things, including civil rights, which I think is part of my inheritance, right? Like where we fought and we are trying to overcome this thing together. And it's you're told, no, that's not history. History is this other thing. My question to you is, how do you have this conversation? Because some of its race, other ways I've heard it talked about is majority culture, right? So there's kind of some blinders because of majority culture. And when you tell a majority culture like that's not actually history, history is this other thing, I think it can feel really discombobulating yeah. and you can feel really thrown off. So I'm just looking for, the as, as a listener who's from majority culture who may be listening to this, what are some ways that we can help and not just be like, well, you know, you just don't understand or something, but like, how do we help move them past that? Cause that's part of the conversation too, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, yeah. how do we have this conversation together? Yeah. What are y'all's thoughts? Am I, am I way off base? Is Am I, is that not what people are going through? Or? No,
3: I, I think that's true. Um, I think there's a number of things. Uh, one people as individualistic as our culture is, um, People know what it's like to um, be involved with one another. We just pick and choose when we want to. So I would say the same person that would argue, um, I don't, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I personally didn't do anything would be the same person who'd hear about a law that gets passed in, you know, New York that they're like, this sets a precedent. Like if that happens there, then that could spread and then that could affect me. And it's, we understand this, this idea that when one thing happens somewhere, it can, um, become a problem elsewhere. And even if I don't personally have, uh, feel like I have a stake in it, uh, it impacts me. So I think that's at play. But then there's also this idea, I think it goes back to what Dr. Berry said with, um, education and where, um, being Christian and being American, uh, has, uh, unduly muddied itself together. Yeah. Um, where we we lose this virtue of one of the core values or core beliefs of our faith is that um, people have been marred by sin and that we're broken and we need repair. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a, a, a country and culture that tells us that we're great, we're the best thing since sliced bread, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, nothing can go wrong. And we must tell a history that, that shows that. right? Um, and I think of Psalm 78 when the psalmist says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you like dark sayings from the past mm. um, and tell, tell our future generation of the things that happened before. Mm. One, so they don't repeat the same actions, but then two, uh, so that they would be able to see the testimony that God has established um, in Jacob. And it's just a long psalm of all the things that the nation of Israel did bad." Uh, And you could listen to that and go, but what about David? Like, he was a good guy. And like, well, what about like, you know, Solomon? Like he kind of, and it's like, yeah, but the point of the story is as a people, we constantly turned from God and Mm. God was constantly faithful. Mm. We constantly turned from God and God was constantly faithful. As the church, the voice that we could have in this conversation is, yes, living in this country, uh, we've been afforded, you know, whatever the case may be, but it's not perfect and we're broken and we can tell the whole story. And then we can say, but look at how God has been faithful, um, and you can have a more full and broader conversation. But we, like I said, because we uh, neglect actually telling the whole story, we forfeit that opportunity to be able to speak into it in a prophetic way mm-hmm. uh, that we should be able to.
2: That's great, Marcus. Thanks, man.
1: i well, like preach, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I we're I don't know, we're afraid of yeah, well, I, but because. We're being told to be afraid because that's how people stay in power. Is when they, you know, invoke fear. But I just wanted to use this example um, real quick. Like um, back in 2009, um, I remember uh, being introduced to um, what is it? Oh my gosh, the Justice missions um, on trafficking. Mm. Um, Okay, so
2: International Justice Mission, IJM. Yep.
1: Yep. You. I thought it was international so I remember being introduced to that and then um in my community introducing that to like you know a Christian community and we got questions like is this even an issue where we live you know or we've never heard of this or like why are we so there was that right so there was this initial like is this even something that
2: Mm
1: -hmm. we should even be concerned about okay so just fast forward like just maybe a year or so and and then people began to understand that it's been happening I'm in North Carolina and I'm in Charlotte like that is one of the top places that mm. <laughs> human traffic human human trafficking happens but you just because you were not ever exposed to it or taught or saw, you didn't know how to see it or you didn't you were seeing it but not even knowing what you were looking at mm. so the church rallies around this cause they Normalize the conversation. Now, literally, you're talking about trafficking. You're talking about slavery, and you're talking about sex. Mm. So we can talk about that in this framework of human trafficking. Um, I don't understand why we can't, you know, talk about uh, justice and caring for people in in this in a, in the capacity of anti racism. But anyway, so back to trafficking. And so, just over a short period of time, I watched people um, learn. Um, Gain understanding and hitch their horses to the wagon of human trafficking in in a little bit of time, just a few years, because the church um, rallied around it, educated on it, brought people in who knew what they were talking about um, to to inform, educate, give people Um, you know, here's some things you can do, or this, or, you know, this is how you can support. And then, yeah, just in a few years, human trafficking was normalized, or not human trafficking, but um, the, yeah, anti-human trafficking, or, you know, this whole liberating people who were um, enslaved by human trafficking, that was normal. It was all normalized, and people were talking about it, and feeling good about it, and participating in it. So I don't understand well, I do understand. But see, if we can do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. We can do
0: this. Yeah, we have the capability exists. Um, you know, I think because even to point back to your question and kind of loop in what everybody how everybody has responded. Um, you know, I think that I think and I repeat myself a lot on a podcast, like when we when we see what our calling is as image bearers is to create a world in which everyone flourishes and thrives. Mm. And so when people present us with this testimony that I'm not flourishing and thriving, that we would be humble enough to just listen and like to what Tamarcus was talking about, to realize the potential for human depravity because of sin. That thing like you just read through scripture and see the depths of darkness that humanity can fall to when we just move away from the things of God. And that if I'm able to see that in other places around the world, then why can't I see it in my own neighborhood, in my own backyard? What if I'm wrong? I think I've heard um, different authors talk about this question. It's like, well, what if the way I view the world is wrong? (laughs) Like, let me be open to just hearing and learning. And if you just like there's so much information about just facts, not opinions about the facts, but just facts Like this weekend, I went to the National Museum of African-American History in D.C. And I was just like, just. It's wonderful. It's wonderful and beautiful and desperately sad of just what a people endured. And they're just presenting facts. Like they're not giving us opinions about the facts. Like this is stuff that happened. There is evidence. There are artifacts, all the things. And then we come back to the same questions of, well, maybe the way I see the world isn't the way I should see the world. And because I care about my neighbor and I care about them thriving and loving them and to love God is to love the people he loves. And he loves all of humanity Then I need to get in the game. Um, and I think it's having a hard look at ourselves. What am I holding on to that? I don't want to give up that I need to give up in order to move forward in this conversation. Um, Cause it is, it's just like, it's not that if it's a problem, it's do I see it as a response, my responsibility to help deal with the problem. Um, and I think the church for a while for a long time doesn't see it as their responsibility
1: well and can i um now i'm gonna ask you a question <laughs> come on come on. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I okay so then i i saw this a lot like okay there is you know there is a problem so let's just focus on love because i'm like okay here this is what we need to do here's the strategy we need to equip people because what's coming What's about to come down the pipeline is really going to confuse them. So if we give them understanding, then they can navigate um, the noise that's going to come their way. But what I was getting in return was, oh no, we're just going to do a study on love. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay, so here we are. We know there's a problem. Why is, why aren't we willing to, um, let's see, engage in strategy or strategic? Why is it like, okay, well, let's just talk about love or let's just talk about what's in my heart or let's just talk about if you have Jesus, if everybody has Jesus, then we wouldn't have this problem. Mm. Though people who enslaved people said they had Jesus. So I don't understand. Anyway, so my question is, what is that about? Like you can, so yes, the, the church sees a problem, but they're not, oftentimes willing enough to grow or invest in um, being good problem solvers. And so, you know, if you want shared solutions, you have to have a shared understanding, you know, of, or or shared problem solving. And if you want shared problem solving, you have to have, you know, a shared or mutual Mm -hmm. understanding of the problem. And I see, I've just watched churches, some churches um, really um, just, Say, no, we're just going to stay on the margins, and I um I often uh you know say this, and I and I think it's like funny, not funny, but um, what prior to 2016, it was what 2015, 2014, and everybody's singing the oceans deep song, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, let my faith be made stronger, all of this. Now, look as a prophetic person i could feel like all y'all singing this song <laughs> and take deeper like i want to do more i want to be more i want to walk in the water all of those things <laughs> and i said so here it comes we've all sang this song together and then when we have the opportunity to go deeper people are standing on the beach like nope i'm not even dipping my toe mm. in that water
0: mm. y'all know i got thoughts but what are your thoughts <laughs> This is
3: something I've been thinking about recently because I was it was recently made aware of me so I am uh two two cities away uh I live in Princeton and yeah two cities next to me there's a city who's um I think to this day like if you google it they're like the motto at least the I guess the maybe the neighborhood motto of the city is the blackest land, the whitest people and it's one of the things that it's most like if you google like what is what is this place famous for? uh, was a lynching that took place in 1908. Um, and I think about what, what must be true of the fabric of a community, um, where something like, cause even if you just, uh, I even think when you hear about conversations like that, where it's like, oh, that was this one instance. Um, but what must be true where in a city filled with a bunch of people, you know, at least some who profess Christ, uh, you know, a um, police force, a uh, you know, fire department. All these different institutions, governing bodies, um, all of these places come together, and it's like this event takes place. Um, no one marks it as wrong. Uh, people commune around it. Like that is a that is the deepest definition of a stronghold. If I never knew what one was, and so then when it comes to trying to pinpoint this conversation like it is I think there are people who legitimately realize how um, how dark it is and so there's just a tendency to want to immediately distance myself from it as far as I can Um, I don't have anything to do with that I didn't do that my parents never did that we weren't a part of like I'm not that kind of um, you know that kind of person and almost what we want to do it so fast that we're not even able to really Take a look and see. Okay, where, where where is this actually in my circle, in me, in my family, or how is it manifested in any way? Because it's it's very hard to. Um, I mean, it's just like you know I, the same way we talk about how hypersexualized our culture is. Like it's hard not to uh, stop and look and say, "Man, to some degree, all of us have, whether it's in through TV, movies, the like some experience your your idea of." human sexuality has been marred because we are so steeped in a culture that just has it wrong. And so it's like for our culture to be our country to be steeped in something like that for so long. And then now to get here and, and feel as though it can just disappear by saying, Oh yeah, that's a problem. Let's talk like, no, like we have to like tease that out. Um, And I, and I almost feel like uh, that. Yeah. So that response to like, let's just talk about um, love or let's just talk about it, like part of that is a I think it's it's a it's a it's a it's a response to how um, how deep and dark people actually know that conversation is. Um, but the way to get away from it isn't to just push it aside or to minimize it. Uh, you have to be able to actually tease it out and get um, get into the stuff of it. But that takes work and that takes time um, and that takes investment. Um, And that means that our uh, biblical mandates have to be important than our political uh, mandates. And yeah, it just, it takes, it takes an overhaul. Uh,
0: Yeah. And and it's the idea that we like running from suffering and we like running from pain and we like running from discomfort. Um, And so I think like you were saying to Marcus, this idea of, well, these really deep and dark things have happened and I want to respond to it by love. We don't see God respond to deep and dark things by just this warm and fuzzy feeling of love In scripture. We see him enter in um, into the darkness and really through through Jesus and through like sacrifice and through um, a gruesome death, we see him bring light and restoration. Um, But it's God is both love and justice, Uh, that you can't have true love without justice. And so I think we've lost that about who God is And we have a very individualized faith. And so it's not communal. And then I also think there's this dynamic of, which we don't have time to go into today, but that I'm just waiting for beam me up, Scotty. So like, I'm just waiting for the world's gonna burn up and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. And so I'm not responsible for the world I live in. And so it's like, it's individualized. It's I don't like suffering and being just uncomfortable, and I don't understand that to really love God is also to be a person of justice. There's a responsibility that we that the church hasn't internalized, because um, it is. It's love makes us feel really warm and fuzzy on the inside, but this is not a warm and fuzzy problem. Yeah.
1: And I think there's also a misunderstanding of the problem. Um, people think that the problem is, I'm just, I'm going to make it really simple, like Black, like that's the problem of Black people um, and that's their problem. And so therefore, you know, I'm being an ally in this work. Nope. See, that's why I love the term anti-racist, because the problem is <laughs> that we have surrendered to this lie and um, of and this false identity. and um, And so white people need to be set free. And so what if you know, beam me up, Scotty. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> <Be> <laughs> up Scotty is not happening until white people get free. Mm, yeah. You know, until that. What you know, even though we know that beam me up, Scotty is a whole, whole thing. <laughs> a,
0: it's a whole a, thing.
1: Let's <laughs> but just for the sake of this, um, yes. And I feel like in God's love, God desires um, this you know this liberty this like uh, the abundant life that doesn't come through um yeah subjugating people exploiting people like and that you know that that's a there there's the liberty needs to be had for all and and i think that's part of it this you know it's easy to um kind of manipulate uh White people and white Christians, because first of all, you know there is this. There's the church culture of turn off your brain when you come in. Come in the door. Mm, yeah. If you have any questions, then that is her- heretical or whatever. Mm. Um, so you're contending against this kind of anti-education or anti-learning um, approach to faith, because faith means you don't ha- you don't ask questions. So then, in that context, it's easy again to instill people with fear, because you fear what you don't know. So it's easy to instill people with fear, and then it's easy to convince um, majority culture that this isn't um, this isn't your problem, and this isn't impacting you, even though oh my goodness, it really is. Um, because for some of us, the problem of race has has driven us, you know, to God, and then for others, the problem the problem of race has allowed us to be complicit in our sin of dehumanizing God's creation so there's that and I, I don't know if I told you all this but I am a um, high school teacher and so I get to te- mm-hmm, I get to teach um, anti-racism 101 it's an elective it's in a whole year so students elect to take it I'm at a school that is majority white so my students are majority right white and you know when Tamarcus talked about like teasing out things I'm telling you these students get to sit for a whole year and go deep um And go deep and tease these things out and so the things that i can say to them um let's see because they are they have they have the education and they have the understanding when i leave out of my classroom i have to remember like i have to shift because i'm i'm accustomed to when i'm talking to these high school students i'm talking to kids that are informed and have this sophisticated understanding. And so we talk about and then I have to go out outside of my classroom and remember, okay, most people don't even have a, an eighth, <laughs> you mm. know, of, of this understanding that they have. So I have to make sure that I don't talk that way. And I have, and I tell them the same as well. Like, okay, when you go home, because you know, you I have to contend with, you know, teenage angst, cause they want to flex and show what they know. <laughs> and I'm like, look, Look, your parents, this is, you know, um, yes, please share and teach, but do it in a way that is very respectful and honoring, hmm. uh, your yeah. part of the
2: problem, I think too, to go to that question, even talking about parents versus kids is like, um, there is, I asked this myself, this question, what, what, what virtues do I need to embody to be able to have this conversation? Right. And I, I mean, there's a lot of conversations I need to ask that about, right? I'm about to go have a really hard conversation with somebody about their marriage. What what do I need to what do I need to embody? What virtues do I need to embody as I walk into this conversation? My kid messed up in school today. I need to have a hard conversation with them. And it needs to be a conversation about discipline. So what virtues am I embodying? It's not one-dimensional, right? And I so I think part of that is as these kids are coming in, there's probably a humble posture, right? As you're talking about Dr. Barry, as they're coming into your classroom. But I also think that Everything to to Marcus's point earlier, at least recently, with internet and social media, is actually um, forming us more than our more than these more than the old institutional spaces did. Whether it's our schools, our universities, our um, churches, our clubs, whatever we used to belong to back in the day. And this isn't, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, whatever, I do think it was better, but rather than that, you know, being the place where we were formed, I think most people are formed online or on news, right. Or whatever they're watching. And I think, um, what's hard is what, what, what people are being told there is the best virtue you can have is outrage, and what I've been surprised by, truly, what I've been surprised by, um, you know, we we talk about this race issue, and why are people why are people unable to have this conversation in a direct manner, guys? I think anyone who works in a church, or probably just exists in this world, knows it's not just race that we can't talk about. That absolutely, and that's our discussion today. But it feels like you can't talk about anything anymore. Um, the way I talk about it is like this conversation like this it's like uh people who say well if you just teach the bible then x won't be a problem anymore you can insert racism into that you can insert anything into that and what i have what this season of the last 3 years maybe it's longer i don't even remember anymore has showed me the way we talk about it on the show a lot is that we some of our churches are filled with jerks and i and it's been bothering me this question It's not just they're filled with people who are racist or whatever. I think, I think almost that can be too. There is a lack of nuance when we talk about people that way. It's like our people. There are so many people in our congregations who just don't want to hear, don't want to be humble, don't want to learn, don't want to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and instead they just want to come and consume. I want to consume the things that make me feel good. You owe that to me. I'm a paying customer, and it's not about formation anymore. So I guess I'm setting up. That's a very long-winded way to set up this question, which is, I don't mean to be so cynical, but what I have been surprised by is when we had our when we had our um, uh, racial unity class here and people got in, and I remember it was like all anyone wanted to do was talk about the big issues out there, and then we like, you know, CRT or whatever, that's what in your heart, you're like, man, I can't wait till I can score this point about this, or from the other end about some thing I read that shows all these, you know, Republicans are the worst or whatever, I don't know, I'm making it up, but because the curriculum like didn't let us do that it's like the first two sessions it was like fighting to like wait to score your point but actually all it was was like hey elizabeth like tell me a time in your past where you've been wounded because of what you've walked through and it was like uh how do i score a point on that and there's no point to score it's just listening to somebody tell their story and by the end of it do we agree on everything no of course not do we agree on all the solutions no of course not because these issues are really difficult but what we were able to do was say like hey we're all in this together and we can move forward and there's something i i mean we have said it on the show a million times i feel like social media is going to like oh well, i think it's the end of the world but basically like i wonder i wonder what in the in these past few years You know, is it possible to have these conversations? What should we do? Should we turn it off? Should we, what do we do? Yeah. That's not a very clear question. That was a lot of comment and then, like, hey, what's, what's, what do we do?
0: I mean, I think that's a great question, Adam, because it is, it's, especially for those people who are in the trenches, we're doing the work and we see what it takes to get to the other side and it can just seem like there's not a lot of hope. We see the difficulty that our people, who our people really are and the hurdle to, okay, this is a lot bigger than maybe we thought it is. And so, you know, Dr. Barry, this is what you do. Yeah. Like you help people get to the other side or move forward in the journey. And so kind of what hope can you give? What wisdom can you give? Or just even maybe a website address. People just need to go <laughs> and take their <your> class.
1: <laughs> That's um, good. Because Are we all in different points and places? I, <laughs> ooh, that, that is a big question. And, uh, you know, again, I... My own like healing because yes, like we have to heal in this thing as individuals before you can go out and multiply yourself, right? Mm. So we can't do this work um, out of trauma. So mm. even when Adam was saying, I was listening to him, and I'm like, "Ooh, Adam has been traumatized." <laughs> <laughs> you
2: have no idea.
1: <laughs> so you, so Adam needs to take some time good, you know, for healing, because then you go out and let's say, try to onboard somebody or encourage someone along. Then, you know, you were like, don't mean to be cynical, but then that's what's going to happen. Right. right? And so people who are doing this work, um, we have to, um, do this work from a place of, um, from this outpouring of love and hope. Right. So well, I don't do this work because, um, um, because I, because I'm like, I, I just have no idea. Like I have an idea. I have an idea of where we're going. Mm. Uh, it's been a, a lot more bumpier, a lot bumpier than I thought, but then I go back to, okay, who invited me to this work? Mm. And literally, um, and you know, but that's my story for a whole nother book or podcast. My story was, I was literally invited to this work by Holy Spirit. It's was very clear. Mm. And I wouldn't be doing this work if I had not extended that invitation because I did say no. Nope, don't want to do that. It's too hard. <laughs> then was encouraged. It's like, look, you've um, you've experienced healing in a particular way that other people need access to. Um, and so I will say like, yeah, years ago, uh, I, yeah, I have been doing this for a long time. And, um, and so that's how I know some things to avoid, um, some things that seem like they're okay, um, but they, they are not going to produce the fruit that we think. Is going to be produced. So mm. I, I just want take care of ourselves. Um, again, educating is so important because again, we have such a deficit and we have, what is it, muscle atrophy. And so we can't expect people who just, um, I'm just going to say, who just woke up or who just realized that there was an issue Um, with George Floyd okay so look no judgment because I know this thing has been hidden in you know the most clever ways but we can't expect that person to do um, the amount of lifting let's say for example that you can do because you have been developing your muscles for years and years and years and so we have to meet people where they are um, have that grace and then you know bring people along so Again, you know, I'm a high school teacher or I, one of the things I do is teach in this high school and yeah, it's, um, most of the children are, um, I'll say there are students who have parents, um, I have like liberal parents, conservative parents, um, but we're all in there together, all in there together, um, grooving, but I'm having to take all of that into consideration, um, when I am teaching them. Um, because I'm not just teaching them for their own benefit; I am cultivating them so that they can go out, this work well, as well. So that's we. Yeah, we have a, and and I think also understanding that. Yeah, we have a lot to do, and it's going to take a long time. And, and you know, and oftentimes this this gets treated like a hot topic, you know. So we just, I've had pastors tell me that, or people tell me that. And if um, you want to offend me that's a way to offend me to say, "Oh, this is a hot topic
2: <laughs>
1: and address it. And I'm like, I want to harm you. And it's not <laughs> a hot topic. It's life or death. Yeah. We have, to, we have to be fully engaged and committed, um, consistent and persistent in it. And so we set ourselves up for that. Um, and then we move forward accordingly.
3: Yeah. I love that. I feel like that gets wrapped up, um, in your definition i think that's why anti racism is so helpful like if it's if the definition is did everybody come together in kumbaya then it's like that can feel like a very distant reality but if the metric is man am i opposing the things that are marginalizing people am i opposing racism am i, am I opposing hatred uh that is a that is a marker that i can do every day um in yeah, continue to be persistent in it in the long haul. So, thank you for that. And
1: we, we do have to sh- express gratitude for um, when we when we make progress or when we see you know a little bit of flourishment. Sometimes we forget to do that, mm. and we have to, yeah, like I I tell my students, I'll tell them like, I'm so happy to be your teacher. Thank you for choosing me to be your guide mm. on this. And I'm like, I'm so grateful. And you know, they're high school students, so they look at me like. Okay, weirdo, just stop that. <laughs> but I, I'm so grateful and I don't take that for for granted. And I tell people all the time, I appreciate your journey because you are choosing to take responsibility in the context of you know a society that has said be complicit with this.
0: Mm. <laughs> Dr. Barry. Yes. we could take a whole nother three hours and just listen to you. Ma'am, thank you. Thank you for gracing us with your expertise, um, your kindness, but also this exhortation that we need to move forward and that there is hope for the way forward Um, and it's a journey. So it doesn't happen overnight. I think even as you said at the end, that this is something that we're just committed to and change happens over a period of time, but change happens. And so even as I went to the museum this past weekend, I saw change happen. Like what people thought was impossible was made possible by people who believed in God and they just kept moving. Mm. Um, and so I think for those of us who work in churches and we have conversations, we're like, yo, I don't know if this is ever going to change. <laughs> it can change. Um, mm. and God is more invested in us getting to this, to this reality, um, than we are. And so thank you. Um, if you, it's brownness, is it dot Okay. is where you can find Dr. Barry and her work and her classes. Um, I would encourage you as ministry leaders to take a look at what she has because we need to be responsible for helping our people step forward into this conversation. Thank you, Dr. Yeah. Barry. You have blessed me today.
1: Oh, good. Good. Y'all have blessed Maybe. me. This Thank you, Dr. Fun. Barry. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Mm.
0: Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Woodson and was edited and mixed by Chris Derry. Additional recording help from Chelsea Conway. One of the best ways you can help others find our show is to leave us a review. So please take a minute to rate us. Also, follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podtheme.com
1: backslash culture matters. See y'all next time. Mm